You can turn over to Psalm 118 this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 118. And we're in the middle of a uh, kind of a little series. Usually we practice the uh, exposition of God's Word through books of the Bible. And and right now we're in the book of Matthew. Actually, next week we'll be back in Matthew chapter 8. But we've kind of taken a hiatus, a break from that from Thanksgiving through Christmas and had some Christmas messages and whatnot. And uh, as we start the new year, I just thought it would be good to kind of make sure that we're focused on what we should be focused on and um, uh, what's important. And so we've been in the middle of this little, just a three-week series, uh, getting focused in life. And uh, one thing that... Uh, it's kind of the last part of the series, so if you've missed the other ones, they're on the podcast or on the website, or you can get a CD afterwards. But for the fa- past three weeks, we've been looking right in the middle of the Bible, Psalm 118. It's kind of interesting that Psalm 118 is about getting focused and getting centered in life on God, and uh, it's right in the smack dab middle of the Bible. And so uh, what we're talking about, what we have been talking about the last couple of weeks is having a peace, having a confidence in your life, no matter what is going on around you. And it doesn't take very long to look at the economy, you look at the politics, you look at wars going on all over the place. It doesn't take long to figure out, you know what, this world is in, in problems. It's got problems. It's in dire need of help. And uh, whenever you meet a person who <clears throat> sometimes is focused on God, they're where they should be with the Lord, uh, no matter what they're going through, that person seems to live with this calm assurance in their life. Uh, they, they have this assurance that they're secure in God's hands. And sometimes when you run into people like that, you have a tendency to think, you know what, that person must have an easy life. They must have, somehow they must have an easy life. Look at them, they're just, you know, like everything's in control in their life. And I'm here to tell you, that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth most times. Um, we look at people sometimes, we think, boy, that guy, that gal doesn't have a care in the world, a problem in the world. And nothing really could be further from the truth if we knew the reality of their life. See, no one by their own perception has an easy life. You don't look at your life and go, oh, I got it easy. We might look at people's circumstances and think they've got it pretty good. But typically, they don't see it that way. When they look at their own life, they see all the challenges, they see all the obstacles in their lives, the ones that we can't see, they know that are there. Even those who have a relatively, by the world standard, easy life are not exempt from stress, from pressure, from worry. In fact, sometimes the most stressed out people in the world are those who have everything. Just look at some of the celebrities. Some of those people, some of the business leaders in our community, they got more money than we could ever even dream of spending. And here we are with our little you know, bank accounts trying to make ends meet every week. If we just had more money, life would... No, that's not the answer. These people have caboodles of money, you know, just billions and billions of dollars. And yet they're stressed out. They're dealing with issues in their life. Sometimes we look at people, they've got everything on a silver platter. They have very little responsibility. And we think, boy, they just got it right. 
Seeing, be, being a focused person on the Lord, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about focusing on ourselves. We're talking about focusing our attention on God in our lives. Is not determined by how many or how few problems you have. That's irrelevant. It's really irrelevant. It's determined by your proximity to the presence of God. That really depends on what you're focused on. If you're right in the middle of where God wants you to be, and if you're thinking the way He wants you to think, then you're going to experience the type of focus, the type of centeredness in your life that we're talking about and we have been talking about. You're going to experience the kind of peace in the midst of turmoil that we've been talking about. You're going to experience the kind of hope in the midst of sudden uncertainty or setbacks in your life. You're going to experience confidence when people think you should have any. See, that kind of security, that kind of sense of focus and centeredness in God, it's available to God's people through the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who haven't put their faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, who haven't come to the cross, who haven't cried out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't know what else to do. You may be sitting here this morning, your life is just a mess. Your job's a mess, your finances are a mess, your relationships are a mess. Don't you think God knows that? God knows that. And he wants to make things right. He wants to help you turn things around. And you can only do that when you have a relationship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what Christ came to do. That's what Christ came to do. The last couple weeks, um, you know, we've been, we've been looking at this in, in different ways. In John 14, 27, go ahead and skip ahead to that, that slide. Sorry, I kind of mixed it up here for you. But uh, he says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled. This is what the Lord says. Nor let it be fearful. See, we're looking at, at three declarations of faith, three declarations of trust. That's what we've been doing. That will help us to get centered, get focused on the Lord. And what a better way to start out the new year, focused on God, where we should be with Him. It's learning to trust God. That's really what it's all about. A couple weeks ago, we looked at at God is on your side. God is for you. And we looked in in, uh, Psalm 118, verse 6, where it says, The Lord is for me, I will not fear. And that's an important principle to understand in our Christian lives. If you don't understand God is on your side, what do you have? Nothing. Nothing. In Romans 8, Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? You know, and we're not talking about some, uh, you know, uh, your best life now kind of mentality here. That's not what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, when I read the life of Paul... I don't know if Mr. Olstein's ever read this part of the Bible, but maybe he needs to. In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 7, here's what Paul has to say about his life. This is his Christian life. This is kind of a summary. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, 
that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And then he begins in verse 8. Here's how he describes his Christian walk. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what it is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus. And will present us with you. For all things are for your sake that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that's how he describes his life. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, I mean, I would not describe his affliction as light. But he does, because he has the right focus. He says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God is on our side. He's there to get us through those tough times. It means that you can cry out to Him in your time of distress. And you can count on Him to be there to help you. You can count on Him, the Bible says, when you can't count on anybody else. He's on your side. He's in your corner. And you know what? I'll just say this. It's good to know that, that God is on our side even when we're wrong. Do you know that? He's still on our side even when we're wrong? That excites me. It excites me that God is still on my side even when I sin. He doesn't like it, but He's on my side. He's provided a remedy for me through Christ's forgiveness, through Christ's righteousness that was imputed to me. It's not a righteousness of my own. He's on our side even when we mess things up with our own stupid and foolish decisions, with our own silly behavior. It's good to know that God will not give up on us. He's not a God who says, oh, you stepped in it again, huh? Well, you're on your own this time. Go clean yourself up and then maybe I'll talk to you. That's not the kind of God that we serve, beloved. That's not the kind of God that gave his son on a cross to die for the sins of the world. He doesn't give up on us. And He doesn't leave us in our mire and in our muck. As a father would correct a child, He corrects us. We looked a little bit about that last week. He wants you to be where you should be in your Christian walk. He doesn't abandon you. 
He doesn't turn his back on you. What kind of God would that be? What kind of Savior would that be? I'll save you when, the, when you do everything right, but if you do anything bad, I'm not going to save you. Why do you even need a Savior if that's the case? And the reason is, is because he is for you. He's on your side. When you're in the middle of a mess, even if it's a mess of your own making, we need to believe that the Bible tells us that the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God is there for us. And we need to accept the words of David, David as the word of truth. God is for us. In the second part of our series, we looked at God is in control as we sang about this morning. You know what? You may be sitting here this morning and your situation is just chaotically out of control. I want you to know that God is still in control. It doesn't catch him by surprise. The Bible says that in Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. He owns each day. He made it. He knows how to handle everything that comes your way. And you know what? As a child of his, nothing comes your way that passes under his radar. If you're a child of God here this morning through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you ever think that, oh, how did this happen to me now? Because there's nothing that could even happen in your life without God allowing it. Because we serve a sovereign God. So if you really believe that God is in control, as we sang earlier, then you can celebrate each day and every day. Because it's a day that He has made to do great things in your life. And you may say, well, what are these great things? I've got so many problems, I can't experience any great things. What are you talking about? One of the great things that God wants to do is to get you started to take the first step out of your messy situation, whatever it may be, so that tomorrow looks better than yesterday. He just wants to get you started. See, if he's not in control, then your problems are just going to get worse and worse and worse. But if he is in control, then each day he's moving you closer and, and molding you and fashioning you closer to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to move you in a direction that's best for you. And because of this, you can ask for everything you need. David said, God, send abundance. God, send prosperity. God, send your blessings. Send your help. We're not talking about here word of faith, you know, uh, health, wealth, prosperity, gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think a lot in the church have repelled against that erroneous message and come over here and think that they always have to be rubbing two, you know, wooden nickels together or something, you know, as Christians. That's not the case. God wants to meet our needs. He wants to meet our needs in abundance. How does he define abundance? How does he define prosperity? Probably a little different than us. <laughs> But you know what? We need to be open to God blessing our lives. And that's what David prayed. Today we want to look at the third and last message in this series, the third principle in the process of getting centered. And the third declaration of trust, and, and here's what it is, is God has a plan to turn things around. I mean, how could you live... To, Tomorrow, if you didn't believe that God didn't have a plan to turn things around. David used the phrase in Psalm 118 that Jesus later made reference to. And he actually, uh, Peter quoted in his first letter. And David applying the word specifically to uh, Jesus himself. 
And it's just interesting that some, sometimes we can read portions of Scripture or verses in the Bible and we just kind of skim over them. And we forget, wow, what does this really mean? Look at verse 22 in Psalm 118. And we remember seeing this in, in, uh, uh, in, in 1 Peter as well. Psalm uh, 118, verse 22. He says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You say, okay, what, what do you mean? <laughs> How, what, what does that apply to? Why did, why did uh, you know, David use this phrase that Jesus later made a reference to and that Peter used in his first epistle? It's because this phrase teaches a principle in the economy of God. It, it teaches the way God works. It, made, it was made evident in, in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. If you remember, you know, every Easter we celebrate the, the resurrection of Christ and you know, Good Friday, and we do that whole thing. Passion Week. Well, why did Peter quote that? See, this verse applies to Jesus, but it's not exclusively about Jesus. It's about the way God works. It's about the way God does things in human history. The stone which the builders rejected has been turned around to become the chief cornerstone. See, these words apply to Jesus because when he came into the world... Who welcomed him? Not the religious leaders. What they do? They rejected him. We looked at that in our studies through Matthew up to this point. He was re- rejected by the religious leaders. He was condemned by the political leaders. And then he was put to death on a cross. Wow, what kind of Messiah is that? And the enemies of Christ looked at the cross as he gave up his life and said, Ah, it's over. This ragtag bunch of people, followers, Christians, whatever they call themselves, they'll just kind of, you know, go back to what they're doing. This guy's dead. That's what they thought. His enemies thought it was over. And he was completely out of the picture. That the mess that he was in, he just did him in. And they never have to deal with him or his followers again. That's what they believed, the people of the day. But I'm here to tell you they were wrong. They were wrong. Because the man that was nailed to the cross on Friday before Passover some 2,000 years ago did not just disappear into history forever. He was as dead as he could be. When they put him in that tomb on Friday, the Bible says on the third day, on Sunday morning, the Spirit of God, the Almighty Spirit of God entered that grave and breathed life back into his nostrils. That his heart started beating again. And the blood, the cold blood that was in that dead body started to flow, started to heat up. Pretty soon his lungs began to fill up with air. And this all happened like that. And all of a sudden Jesus was alive again. Amazing. And that's not all there is to it either because now this ragtag band of followers 
these believers in Jesus who basically deserted him, after they saw him die on the cross and they put him in the tomb, they thought, well, what's, what's the use? And they just kind of left. They were in fear for their own lives. All of a sudden, they were emboldened to preach the good news of Christ, to imitate his lifestyle. And a whole new movement was started in the name of Christ. And you know what? That movement is that was given birth was the church. You and I, those who believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, we're His church. And it's good to know that His church is built on Him. It's not built on an individual. It's not built on a denomination. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. The one who was rejected. The stone that the builders looked at and said, boy, this will never work. Throw that over there in the garbage heap. God grabbed that in the garbage heap and put it as the chief cornerstone, the most important stone of all that holds everything together. If you don't have a cornerstone and an arch, you don't have nothing. It will collapse. He who had been rejected, been ridiculed, been beaten, mocked, and condemned to die. He who had been cast aside by those in power during his time. Just as some religious fanatic, he became the cornerstone of literally a whole new world. See, that's how God does things. That's how God works. That's why Peter took David's words and he applied them to Christ. Because he's the greatest example, bar none, of God's ability to somehow turn things around. To deliver victory even in the throes of certain defeat. Sometimes we've got to stop and we've got to put things in perspective. I mean, when you die and you come back to life, then come and talk to me about your problems. You know what I'm saying? Then you got some problems. If you're dead, you got some problems. Especially if you're outside of Christ. I was on the plane coming back from Florida and the first guy from Jacksonville, he sat next to me and whole plane pretty much was empty, and he sat in my row. I don't know why, but <laughs> God had a purpose. And so he sat next to me, and, and we started to talk. And, and this gentleman, you know, I don't know exactly where he was with the Lord, but a lot of people down south, they, they talk like they know the Lord anyway. And um, so we were talking about things of God and things like that. And I was asking what he did, did, did in his life. And he said, well, I was a salesman, a car salesman and everything. But a year ago, I was struck with a pretty serious bout of cancer. And uh, he was healthy all my life, went in for my 50-year checkup, and the doctor said, oh, something's not right. And uh, he said, basically, uh, they opened me up and found stage 4 cancer. And had to have, I said, well, did you have to go through any surgery? And he said, he's just recovering. And the guy looked healthy as an ox. I said, he's just getting over his six months of chemo or whatever it was. And he was trying to go to Jacksonville to start kind of getting back into the work thing. And so I asked him, uh, did you go through any surgery? He said, well, that was the, the bad part, really. He goes, they went in. It wasn't, you know, they had to take out a quarter of my colon or whatever it was. And 
he said, but uh, when the doctor closed me up, he failed to close up my, I don't know if it's bladder or appendix or whatever. And he said, when you don't do that, your body basically just fills up with fluid. I was operated on Tuesday. Everything went fine. It felt great coming out of the surgery. And Wednesday, I started to feel a little bloated. Thursday, the doctor decided to go on vacation, thought everything was fine. He was out of town. Left me with a nurse's aide. He said, by Thursday night, my stomach, I, mean, I was huge. And they didn't know what to do. And he said, finally, my wife's insistence, you know, they had a specialist come in. And finally, on, on Friday, uh, they took me to the hospital where my heart stopped. He, he, I think he called it aseptic. He just, his body just shut down from all this toxins in his body. And he said, he said yeah, literally, uh, you know, I was dead. They put me on oxygen, and eventually they got my heart to restart. In the meantime, they cut me open, and they drained all this fluid out, and they realized, wow, what, what a mistake they made. He goes, so yeah, I went to the surgery, taking the colon part. That was easy. He goes, you know, the other part was, was, just, was just tough. And I asked him, and I said, wow, I said, I mean, having gone through that, he goes, you know, I look back, and he goes, God has a purpose on it. And he goes, I'm, I'm looking. I'm trying to do whatever I can to find God's purpose in my life. So I shared some scriptures with him and stuff and assured him that obviously God has a, a purpose for this man. Real nice guy. Family and, and everything. And, uh, you know, so sometimes our problems are rather insignificant. And yet because maybe that's the problem we have and that's what we're focused and centered on, it becomes this humongous problem. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to turn things around. Um, he, he, he really does. He wants to take your greatest failure and, and turn it into the cornerstone of a new life. But you've got to be willing to trust him through the process. See, our, our difficulties aren't as random as they appear sometimes. They can really serve a purpose in your life. A purpose that serves you, a purpose that brings glory to God. In Psalm 118, verse 5, that's why David cries out. He says, from my distress, I called upon the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. We talked about what it's like to be in a cramped place. We don't like that. We like to be in a bigger place. He's prepared for you a large place, a place of blessing, a place of prosperity, a place of abundance, a place of usefulness, a place of meaning. And that can be yours if you're willing to trust him to work out the details of your life. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Like I said, I'm not talking some, you know, pie in the sky kind of Christianity here. Psalm 138, verse 8, another Psalm of David, he says, The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. The Lord's going to work out his plans in your life. And I want you to know that God has a plan to turn things around. They don't have to remain the same. Whatever mess you're in this morning, whatever mess you find yourself in, God can use it for his glory. And it may not seem real obvious at the moment. It may not seem obvious from your perspective. But God wants to make a way for you to experience the fullness and the joy of life in him. And that's what David emphasized in verse 23 there. He said, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Incredible. You just, you step back and you go, how did God turn this around? I don't know. But see, we have to begin to prepare our heart for this. You don't just wake up and God says, yeah, I'm going to bless you today. No. 
there's some things that we can do to, to, to allow God to have this turnaround work in our life. One of the first things is take every opportunity to talk to God about your situation. Take every opportunity to talk to God about your situation. See, we see David doing this in verse 5. And several, several times we've seen him do Verse 5, he says, From my distress I called upon the Lord. We also see it in the verse we looked at, verse 25. He said, O Lord, do save. We beseech thee. He cries out to God again. Send prosperity. See, our nature sometimes is when we're going through hard times, what do we tend to do? We tend to pray less. That's what we do. That's our nature. Because we're kind of a, you know, hard-nosed people and we think, well, I'll just work it out. And we think that somehow, you know, once I get everything straightened out, then I'll refocus my life on God. That's not how it should be. It's just the opposite. You know, and, and I'll just say this. I mean, it's, it's funny how sometimes churches work. Because, you know, I've been in situations where the last place I wanted to be was in church on Sunday morning and I was the pastor. The last place I wanted to be was be up there and try to share a, a message. Because things were just totally mixed up in my life at that time. And I'm thinking, how can I even do this? I can't do this. And I remember feeling utterly useless to God. And somehow, just by almost blind obedience, kind of dismissing every feeling I was feeling in my gut just to resign the ministry and leave forever... Somehow God motivated me to just do it. Don't give me this feeling stuff. Just do what I called you to do. I'll take care of the rest. And that's what he did. And it wasn't because of me. Because I was just, I was all over the place. And sometimes when we're going through hard times, we feel, oh, the last place we want to go is to the church. We can't let people know what's going on in our life because then they would know and, oh, they judge us. And No. If that's the kind of church you're going to, if you're coming to a church where you cry out and you say, you know, I got this issue in my life. I got marital problems. I got financial problems. I got thought life problems. I got this. And, and you come to the elders of that church and they say, oh, you know what? You don't belong here. You get out, you sinner. Then get out and never go back because that's not a grace-filled church. Last time I checked, Jesus spent his time with sinners, with tax collectors, with those who were struggling. He had compassion on them. We're not called to be, you know, a holy huddle of us four and no more and, you know, that kind of an attitude. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to minister to a lost and dying world, the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, which alone has the ability to save them. So when you're going through hard times, talk to God about the situation. Don't run from Him. Don't run from the church. You need to spend more time in prayer. You need to spend more time with God. You need to spend more time in His Word. You need to spend more time with God's people. So they can bear the burden with you. Let's just cut out all this, you know, how are you doing? Oh, fine. Everything's fine. Let's be real. Can't we just be real as the body of Christ? God already knows. You're not fooling Him. You come here with a little pasty smile on your face every Sunday thinking that somehow, you know, God's going to bless you because you show up. I mean, that's ridiculous. 
God wants you to learn to trust Him day by day. You can't trust Him when you're avoiding Him. You can't trust Him when you're not spending time with Him, when you're not talking to Him about your life. God wants the mess you're in, the situation you're in, whatever it may be, we all have got our own messes. God wants to use the situation to bring us closer to Him. God desires to be in that intimate relationship with you. Jesus used the word friendship when he described our relationship with him. What kind of friend would you be if you never talked to me? If I never saw you? If you never asked how I was doing? You know, we, our, my daughter and grandkids were just out here for a couple weeks and, you know, it was just a blessing just to have them in our house and, you know... I was talking with Ambika the other day, and she was asking how the trip went back with the kids, and I said it was great. I said, you know, we just had a good time. I mean, kids were okay on the plane and stuff, and and uh, somebody asked me this morning, would you, you miss them? And I said, you know, I really haven't had a chance to think about that yet, but yeah, I do. And whenever they leave, I go through about a week, a week, and, and I'm not a depressed person. I don't get depressed. I just, you know, emotionally am pretty level but there's something in me, I just kind of, like they tear my heart out and they leave it where, the, where they are. And, and for a couple of weeks, it takes me a while to get readjusted to what I'm supposed to be doing and to get refocused. Because I'm thinking, man, I miss my daughter. I miss my grandma. I wish they lived closer. See, that's the kind of relationship God wants with us. He's not going to force it on you. He's not going to barge into your room at six in the morning. Hey, get up. It's time for devotions. <laughs> not going to do that. Just like I wouldn't, you know, what kind of relationship would it be with Crystal if I said, you know, okay, we have to go to coffee today. We got to talk. And, you know, what do you mean? Why do we have to do this? No, I want to do it. And I pray that she would want to do that. In any relationship, whether it's our kids, whether it's our wives, whether it's friends, family, we want people to to desire to spend time with us. We don't want to feel like they, they have to. Same way with God. I wouldn't like it if they were just kind of biding their time with me. Just, yeah, yeah, okay, we've got to go to Grandpa's house, whatever. I want fellowship with them. We need to spend time with them. That's what God wants from us. So if you're in the middle of a situation, if you're in the middle of a mess, let that mess be the catalyst in your life to bring you closer to God. That's why it's there. And not just for the duration of the mess. See, so many times when the mess is over, then we think, oh, okay, everything's back to normal. No. But the duration of your existence on this earth. So I encourage you to talk to God about your situation so that you can connect with him, so you can understand him better, so you can grow in your relationship with him, so you can bond with him, so you can develop a deep and genuine abiding relationship with him. That's what the Bible describes our relationship believers to a holy God should be through Christ. Second thing that we have to do to get ready to God for God to do this turnaround work in our life is not only do we have to, you know, just talk to him about our situation, we also have to take every opportunity to say thank you. Take every opportunity to say thank you. Psalm 118 is a psalm of gratitude. If you look at verse 1, he says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. You see it again in verse 21. I give thanks to you, and, and for, uh, for you have answered me. You see it again in verse 28. You are God, and I give thanks to you. Verse 29. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
See, we need to develop the habit of giving thanks. And when we do that, it helps us kind of overcome this mentality that we have that we're kind of entitled to everything. See, when we try to live for God, when we try to accomplish good things in His name, that's okay, but we have to be careful. Because if we're not careful, we develop an attitude that says, you know what, God, since I did this for you, you owe me. You owe me, pal. You know, I did this. I ministered to these people. Now, where's the blessing? See, that's a sense of entitlement that we can fall into very quickly. And sometimes when we're in the middle of a mess, we turn to God. You know, God, you should be making this easier. I'm serving you, God. Why, why am I in the middle of this mess? Why aren't you helping me out of this mess? You owe me. You should provide more for me. You should do it faster. I shouldn't have to wait here. My patience is growing old here, God. I shouldn't have to stress over this. This isn't good for me. It's not good for my ministry. God, why aren't you providing what I need? See, there's a sense of entitlement there. And we have to come to the conclusion and the, the, the raw reality that, you know what? God doesn't owe you or me anything. Nothing. Zip. Nada. Zilled. Nothing. He could leave us completely on our own and do everything and only that we could do everything without his help and he would be completely just in doing that. Do you understand that? He's not entitled to help us in anything. The fact is God doesn't owe us. We need to get beyond the attitude of demanding things from God. Like a spoiled little brat. 